Hello, and welcome to the How Dentists Get Paid podcast, where we take a look at things like consolidation and DSOs, tech trends, and more to determine how they affect the bottom line of your dental practice. I'm your host, Brandon. This episode is part two in our series on AI in dentistry. In the first part, we broke down some common terms in artificial intelligence. I explained the basics of a neural net, and we dissected a few technologies to see how they are making use of AI. In this episode, we'll use our newfound knowledge to formulate some ideas for future tech innovations using AI, making sure to evaluate the financial consequences, and of course, what might be the microeconomic effects on your dental practice. So buckle in and let's see how dentists get paid with AI, part two. But first, the answer to the exercise from the end of last episode. I presented the case of a company based in New York which leverages artificial intelligence to provide business intelligence. The two clues I gave as to what was going on under the hood tech-wise were these. Number one, marketing text on their front page reads, find the business insights you need in seconds with our groundbreaking AI-powered search. And two, a case study on their site where they described how one of their services produced an analysis of a quarterly earnings report, which suggested a drop in the stock price, and then that occurred shortly after. Here were the answer choices. A, they were using or they are using natural language processing or NLP to process the earnings report, then taking the financial data reported there, cross-referencing that data with the data of other companies and historical data, to project a trend and extrapolating from there. B, they're using NLP, natural language processing, then performing sentiment analysis, so understating the feeling, the emotion of the text, to generate a score of how positive or negative the language in the report appears and extrapolating from there the potential effect on the stock price. C, they're using computer vision to process graphs of the financial data including stock price from within the report, running that through a trained neural net and getting an output of up or down as the predicted direction of the stock price. Okay, drum roll. The correct answer, explaining what exactly they're doing over there, what technologies they're making use of and how they're making use of them is B. Hmm. This answer might seem like the least sophisticated of the three, at least it did to me initially, you know? Instead of cross-referencing graphs or, you know, plugging historical data in, just looking at the sentiment, looking at the emotion of, of, you know, the report. According to their website, they're literally processing earnings reports with semantic analysis, which classifies text as positive or negative, depending on the language and context, and giving it a quote-unquote overall document score in a range of minus 100 to plus 100. In this case, the overall document score was minus 87, almost as bad as you can get. Their service has the ability to highlight specific areas of the report too, which contribute to the negative score, and also shows users a trend of overall document score for earnings reports by a company over time. So you can see the past earnings reports and the sentiment analysis scores that go with it. When I first read the description of what they did, I felt a bit underwhelmed. I'm not a finance guy, but I do follow the markets generally, and I, I presumed any equity analyst, or really anyone for that matter, could read an earnings report and pick up on sentiment throughout the report. That's, that's 
kind of what we do as humans pretty well. We pick up on emotional context because emotion is so core to who we are. But in the context of AlphaSense's other services, this makes more sense. While it may be true a single analyst could read that report and draw the same conclusions, the throughput of a human is much more limited than that of a computer. Computer algorithms like those of AlphaSense and its semantic analysis are scalable. With cloud platforms like Amazon Web Services, the company can run their semantic analysis service on groups of remote servers, which run in you know, Seattle or Herndon, Virginia, wherever Amazon has their servers, and they automatically grow and contract to deal with differing workloads. So Amazon only bills you for the processing power you use. That means they're not paying for any excess. And at the same time, it means they can scale just like that. The benefit becomes clear when you consider that this semantic analysis service also performs the important function of digitization and quantization of something that previously was at least somewhat sub subjective, right? By instantly allowing a semantic classification of a document to be produced, along with highlighted parts of the document contributing to the score one way or the other, that information joins unimaginable quantities of searchable data. Searchable is the key word all faster than an analyst could type a few sentences, let alone quickly scan the document and then write a brief report about it. So the strength comes not necessarily in the depth of the analysis by the algorithm or, or you know, allowing things to be done that were not able to be done before, but in the speed and the scalability of the algorithm and the creation of vast amounts of data as a consequence of this algorithm, those two properties allow for. Speaking of sentiment analysis, what are its potential uses in dentistry? We already spoke a little about chatbots in the previous episode, in the context of describing what technologies make them possible, namely natural language processing, semantic analysis, and deep learning. And remember, deep learning is pretty much powering everything. Deep learning involves neural nets which can learn and adjust weights and have multiple layers of you know, thousands or millions of dots to be able to basically draw connections and learn in a way that's sort of analogous to how a brain learns and neural connections strengthen or weaken. We talked about how chatbots could be used to extend the hours of contact for your practice, give patients easy answers to frequently asked questions, and serve as an intermediary to screen patients before escalating to the doctor on call. I recently thought up another interesting potential use that we're going to go over. But first, let's look at some of the financial implications of that advanced chatbot idea we have already discussed. The degree to which these chatbots will displace human workers is going to depend in some part on how good the chatbots are. How fluent and unrobotic-like is their speech? How good are they at answering the questions posed to front desk staff in a dental office? How good are they at handling edge cases, like late appointments, where a person's appointment time may have passed, but it's possible to squeeze him or her in between other patients. Things like this, edge cases are really the core. The benefits of a highly advanced front desk chatbot should be obvious for practice owners. If you can replace an employee with a service, which doesn't require health insurance or a retirement plan, you can potentially save a lot of money, which is then transferred directly to practice profits. Also, by extending hours of contact beyond practice hours, it may make scheduling a dentist appointment much more convenient, resulting in more patients, again a positive for your practice. 
Um, anecdotally, I have Invisalign. Um, I'm kind of getting some work done on my teeth, and something broke in my mouth, a little, uh, a little hook. And I need to get it put on before I can get the rubber bands put back on. So I'm pretty much in stasis with my treatment. And I've been pretty busy. Um, I call to make an appointment. And, um, you know, not always somebody picks up. Usually it's voicemail. And then they call me. I don't know. I'm 25. I'm a millennial. I don't like calls. I don't like phone tag. I, I, I can't do that. I can't call and leave a voicemail and then they call and leave me a voicemail. And I also, I don't pick up calls. I, I let it go straight to voicemail because I'm, I'm getting, honestly, a dozen robocalls a day. So this would be really convenient for me. The ability to just even text a chatbot service, that would be great. And it just keeps texting you back like a real person. Um, I know this would absolutely get me to make more appointments. Now, it's not necessarily true these chatbots will replace their human front desk equivalents entirely. Uh, it's possible, but it's not, you know, always going to be the case. If you are a front desk employee in a dental practice, I don't think you should panic, even if you are going to be replaced, right? Uh, if the chatbots do completely displace human equivalents, the change won't be overnight, okay? You're going to have ample warning, especially if you're listening to this podcast, right? You'll see tech startups also catering specifically to medical offices, dental offices, or both, because there are some very particular challenges and processes that need to be addressed by any chatbot in these environments. Challenges which are distinct from the challenges answered by a primarily customer service focused chatbot, like an online um, website, you know, that instead of calling a phone number and listening to robots, because it's already incredibly automated and the bar on that kind of customer service is already incredibly low. So you can you can introduce a chatbot with current technology right now, and it's honestly better than that. Um, so you're going to see in the future that come about, but there are still some challenges that need to be solved, and the chatbots need to be a little more advanced than they are now. Another thought is there's probably going to be ample work in the future in a dental practice. One area I can think of is in marketing. From what I hear, at least secondhand, right, I'm not a dentist, more and more marketing is becoming a necessary part of a successful dental practice, especially in more saturated urban and suburban areas where all the dentists are going anyway. Managing social media pages, email campaigns, direct mail, and whatever else are tasks that will need doing. Now here's the idea I had involving sentiment analysis. I've been told in my life a couple times that every job basically boils down to sales, and I think that's about right. Whether you're an office employee, a tech entrepreneur, or a dentist, you're selling your ideas, your services, your worth, or something else to people who have what you want. Usually that's money. Sometimes it's just attention or respect. If you're a dentist, then you know a not insignificant part of the job is selling particular services, whether it's Cosmetic dentistry, you know, veneers, clear aligner therapy, teeth whitening, or anything else. As a dental school hopeful, I've been shadowing dentists in my area for a little more than a year, ever since I moved from New York City down to North Carolina. At one of the practices I shadowed, the doctor was kind enough to walk me through essentially what amounts to their sales process. The doctor I shadowed explained to me that they had a very intentional approach to sales. Sitting patients down in a dedicated office giving them all the options and medical details, right, because that's most important, then allowing a dedicated finance employee to go through options for financing, like care credit, for example. 
The owner dentist also brought in a sales expert periodically to lecture to the entire practice about effective ways to communicate in order to increase sales. Now, sales is a very human process, at least to my understanding. A good salesperson isn't talking at someone, but rather engaging in a dialogue, asking pointed questions, offering information when queried. All while steering the direction somewhere. In order to effectively sell to someone, you need to be emotionally intelligent. You need to recognize when you're coming on too strong or when somebody's eager to hear more. Here's a story from my personal life about the power of emotional intelligence. And it's kind of a tangent, but bear with me. I think it's interesting. I'm watching this show on Netflix right now called The Last Tsar about Tsar Nicholas of Russia, which is a sort of cross between a historical drama and a documentary with experts weighing in between certain scenes. But fundamentally, it's like a dramatic production. It's like a Netflix show. It just has these kind of documentary interlays and some narration. As we see Rasputin, an Orthodox Christian monk who becomes spiritual advisor to the Tsar's wife, as we see him build this incredible influence within St. Petersburg high society, the academics on this show elaborate on the nature of Rasputin's magnetism. Essentially, they say he had an extremely high emotional intelligence quotient, with the ability to truly listen to someone and understand their sources of stress and unhappiness. And th this is important because there's a mysticism surrounding him. You know, they say he could just see through people and, and he could see into your soul and, and your spirit. And he had this mystical divine power, you know, and he had power over people. And they even say he, you know, somehow using divine power or spiritual power, he, he managed uh, the Tsar's son's hemophilia. Um, now, most likely they said he just was really good with people. And his mo the mother of the hemophiliac, for example, the Tsar's wife, uh, understandably was really upset whenever her son had an episode or was a little bleeding or something like that. And of course, what we know now is that emotion affects the physical nature of you know illness. It can induce illness. Stress can induce illness. So by Rasputin being there to manage the whole family's emotions and to calm everyone down and to understand people and listen to people, what the academics at least said is that is probably the most likely explanation for how he managed the hemophiliac son's illness by calming the mother, which calmed the son, which soothed the illness. Now, Rasputin's story doesn't end very well as he's murdered during the Bolshevik Re Revolution. Um, but it was his power to listen and understand people that led to his rise. It was also his kind of greed for power that led to his murder. Um, so maybe there's a, a story there. <laughs> you know, emotional intelligence leads to the rise. Just avoid the greed. Now, where does the tech come in? Okay, well, imagine you have a titan of the sales industry standing by you as you go about your day in your dental practice. Kind of like that sales expert, the practice that Shadow brought in, but a real titan of the industry, you know, and always there. No one but you can see or hear her, like a ghost of Christmas past, but she's letting you know when to bring up some of the cosmetic services you offer, warning you when she can see the patient is not interested and won't be swayed, and encouraging you when she can tell the patient is receptive. Let's go even further. Imagine she has your patient chart in front of her, ignoring privacy regulations for a second, including some of the non-medical information like employer and job role, if you ask this to new patients. 
So she knows what someone can afford and allows that to inform her guidance of your interactions and your sales. Now imagine she's always there, never gets sick, doesn't take a normal salary or ask for benefits, and lives in a little Bluetooth headset. Hmm? Right? What I'm getting at is a real-time, semantic analysis and AI-powered sales assistant. The headset would listen to both sides of your conversation with the patient and distinguishing your voice from that of your patient, analyze his or her sentiment and responses to whatever sales efforts you're making in real time and help you guide the conversation towards a sale. When I shadowed that aforementioned dentist, he told me after seeing one patient, he probably should have brought up the option for orthodontic treatment and teeth whitening with a teenage patient who had come in for a routine cleaning but seemed interested. And actually, I think she mentioned it at at one point, but he didn't follow up. And he said it had just slipped his mind. The semantic analysis-powered sales assistant could have reminded him in a way that was natural, waiting until the procedure was almost finished before making a suggestion to the dentist during a pause in the conversation, you know, a little whisper in the ear. And in fact, this dentist, uh, he did not have a headset, but in the practice, all the assistants and all the hygienists had, had headsets. It was really an incredible practice. Everything was, was really, you know, at the top of its game. Um, and I guess they had that for communication and because they had a lot, of, uh, a lot of offices, a lot of chairs, I think 10 or 12, and it was all kind of in a circle. So you, you could almost kind of get lost. So I guess they had that really to just streamline everything. The desired effect of this imagined service would be, of course, higher net income, more money for employee holiday bonuses, your retirement fund or your children's college education. I mean, also, presumably, you know, you're giving people what they want. Uh, I guess that's that's the fundamental basis of, of sales. It's saying, you know, if you do it ethically, you're not forcing things on people. You're identifying needs and you're educating them in a way that they say, okay, I, I didn't know that. that. That's interesting. These financing options, financing options are, these are feasible for me. Um, this is the kind of work I can expect. Okay, great, let's do it. And you're giving them that information and you know when to give it. And let's not forget, right, the incredible value of digitizing any process, which is that the data is now easily searchable and available for review. I imagine the sales expert coming in to a doctor's practice would love to have actual transcripts of a dentist's conversations with patients, annotated with suggestions from the semantic analysis service. By looking through how the dentist is speaking with his or her patients, the sales expert can better instruct the dentist on the sales process. Because after all, it's still the dentist who is physically interfacing with the patient And therefore, it is still up to the dentist to perfect his or her salesmanship, right? We're not talking about cyborgs where dentists are being completely replaced. It's it's the dentist who is still talking. The dentist is in that position of authority. The dentist has all the knowledge of these procedures, has all the knowledge of when a particular procedure, a cosmetic procedure, can benefit a patient. So it's up to the dentist. And the dentist still needs to be trained, even with these suggestions. So by giving more data, by allowing more data to be produced, things like a sales expert coming in, right? All that, that can be made more effective. You can get more of your money's worth, basically. So the human sales consultant coming into the practice would still have a role even without, or even with this advanced in-your-ear sales assistant.
few years ago, Snapchat rolled out face filters, making use of AI-driven computer vision, the same technology behind autonomous vehicles, but for a very different purpose. While autonomous vehicles need to understand the physical world in order to navigate through it, Snapchat's app needs to understand the physical dimensions of a face in order to create and display a virtual model of it, which can be modified and played with to create funny distortions like a puppy nose. If you haven't heard of Snapchat filters, they allow Snapchat users to apply various facial animations, sort of like digital masks that move as the user's face moves. So you apply the puppy filter and the lips, eyebrows, and cheeks of the filter move with the users. Or, you know, a uh, clown paint filter. It looks like you're wearing cloud paint. You know, it's not perfect, but everything moves with you, if that makes sense. So a short time after Snapchat came out with filters, I remember discovering a new face filter app called Masquerade. It's spelled M-S-Q-R-D. I was blown away by the quality of the filters. It stuck so tightly to my face and had such realistic textures that you would think I was wearing professional makeup. Even cooler was that some of the filters they had were pretty wild, like a devil with horns and a zombie with wrinkling, decomposing skin. A few weeks pass and news breaks that Facebook has bought the company behind the app for an undisclosed sum. Most likely in the hundreds of millions as Snapchat paid a couple hundred million for their filter acquisition. Now imagine this, right? Relating to dentistry. An augmented reality app similar to Masquerade and Snapchat, but offering teeth filters instead of face filters. Okay, sound a bit ridiculous? <laughs> Hear me out. Before visiting a dentist, users could open the app and explore any of the plethora of cosmetic options available at their local dentist. In this app, you could preview the shape and shade of veneers, swiping back and forth, selecting exactly the color and the brand you want before heading into your dentist practice and showing him or her exactly what you want. For dentists, this is excellent marketing, increasing awareness of potential cosmetic dental options and driving people to seek cosmetic dental care. Don't underestimate the ability to ride on the coattails of someone else's marketing. I've heard this happening with direct-to-consumer orthodontic companies like Smile Direct Club, where some orthodontists are perfectly happy to see the company spend a massive marketing budget educating some of their future patients on, you know, clear liners hey, you can get a clear liner. And then they go and they see mm, your case is actually a little more complex than we thought. Um, and if you want it, you, you'd probably have to go to an orthodontist. And they do. This app could also very effectively streamline the process for getting cosmetic dental work done. If a portion of a dentist's patients come in knowing exactly what they want without needing to ask clarifying questions or take their time to decide what's right for them. So... I remember listening to Howard Ferran's podcast. One of his episodes was about this woman, she was a dentist, and how she uses social media. She's in California. How she uses social media basically as a marketing tool. And she's very good at it with Instagram, etc., right? And she said, at this point, she has people coming in and she has a very nice booklet of, okay, pictures flipping through the booklet, I'll show you this, and you can get this, and this, and this, and oh, look at this work I did. Uh, it came out really well. I'm really proud of this. Um, and she said her problem is she wants to show these pictures to people, but they come in 
having seen her on Instagram and, and they're educated, they know exactly what they want. They come in and they say, oh, I, I don't need to look at anything. I know exactly what I want. Um, I mean, I think she was being a little facetious when she said it's a problem for her, but this seems to me very nice. Right? You don't have to convince anyone. You don't have to spend any time convincing anyone. A personal example I had. One day shadowing another general dentist, the main general dentist that I've been shadowing, I observed a patient get his gold tooth fitted and his lukewarm response. He didn't like that the gold was bordered by a ring of white and that the thickness of the border seemed uneven. Not like squiggly, but... It looked like the border thickness on the top of the tooth, where the gums were, was a little bit thin. The dentist told him that this may be due to swelling of the gums, covering some of the border on the top, and to wait a week or two, then come see him if he still didn't like it. With the AR app, that patient would have been able to see exactly how the gold tooth would look without any swelling, before any work had been done. He could have seen himself in the future. The app could also allow users to preview what their smiles would look like with teeth whitening, orthodontic treatment, or even repairs to chipped teeth. The point is, you go in with an idea of what you're going to look like. Don't underestimate the incredible power of visualization. I mentioned I have Invisalign right now at 25 years of age, and I started treatment pretty much exclusively because of a bite issue from jaw growth post-orthodontic treatment as a kid. So I, I had braces as a kid. But more than a year in, with my Invisalign, I look at my teeth and I'm really pleasantly surprised at how much of a difference it makes in my appearance. And I didn't go into the orthodontic treatment thinking about that. I just needed it for my bite issue. I look at my teeth and, and it's not just about the teeth. It affects how my face looks as a whole. Kind of like how you can have a haircut that is a perfect shape for your face. Or rather, frames your face in the perfect way and complements the size of your head. That is something that can only be visualized. You know, we are visual animals. I imagine if people had the opportunity to easily download an app and view a live video of themselves post-cosmetic work that's high fidelity and, and looks really quality like the masquerade filters do, I think this would be a really powerful marketing tool. Okay, so let's talk about the technical feasibility of this at a very high level because like I said, I want to give you a little bit of tech literacy and give you a sense of what's happening under the hood in some sense. From a computer vision perspective, teeth are clearly delineated, making them pretty easy to distinguish. They're also very much stationary and non-expressive, unlike, say, the lips or eyebrows. This should all be a plus for the algorithms powered by deep learning, used by Snapchat and Facebook's masquerade. What might be difficult, though, is to apply a realistic, real-time teeth filter with an opening and closing mouth. You know, teeth that are continually being obstructed by lips that are opening and, right, smiling, speaking. Here's what I mean by that. If you've ever used Snapchat or any of these face filter apps, you know the filters are only applied once the algorithm can recognize your face, which means you need to be pretty much directly facing the camera and good lighting. Turning your head to the side too much will cause the filter to disengage, and it takes a few seconds for it to be reapplied even after your face is in clear view again, you know, even after you turn back and look straight at the camera. This doesn't sound like much time, right? A few seconds, and it's not very significant, in fact. 
in the case of the face filters, because you want to be staring right at the phone anyway to see yourself. If you're trying to look at the filters, you're already looking at the phone. But the analog of moving your head to the side with the teeth filters would be closing your mouth or your lips in any way obstructing your teeth. Obviously, this is going to disengage the teeth filters. When you open your mouth next, your teeth might be in a completely different position in space. Even if your head has moved a few inches up, you know, we're, we're not completely stationary. If you're drifting a little bit to the side, you know, like that. The app needs to process your features again and identify your teeth again and then reapply the filters. Again, this takes a few seconds. The result would be that you couldn't necessarily just record yourself talking, you know, and have the filters applied to your teeth appear, appear like the real thing as your lips open and close naturally with speech. You know, your teeth are exposed naturally with certain letters and obscured naturally with others. This might not sound like a big deal, Right, you could just smile, you could just look in the camera and smile and have the filters applied and then stop smiling when you're done. But I think we can all understand that that's a different experience than having the real thing in your mouth. The ideal scenario to mimic that would be a level of smoothness and continuity in the filters where you could take a video speaking, singing, smiling, whatever, upload it to Instagram and in the comments you'd see, Oh my God, did you get your teeth whitened? They look so good. Or did you get veneers? I love them. Who did it? Where'd you get that work done? I wanna get that done. That's the level of immersion you'd want ideally in order for people to really get a sense of what they would look like with this work done. You can copy and paste a picture of a shirt onto your body, but it's not the same as going in and trying it, right? And if you had a filter that really looked like the shirt was on you, that's a powerful visualization tool. Now, interestingly, I'm actually thinking of a, a complication to this, which is, what if these filters look too good? Right? Have you thought of that? If social media influencers and stars and the desire to look your best online for followers, right? Keyword is online. If that's driving a lot of this cosmetic work, what happens when a filter can take the place of the cosmetic dentist, at least as far as the virtual world goes, right? Not in real life. My answer to that is there's already a lot of amateur Photoshopping going on in the digital world, and so this isn't new. My guess is that people who can afford to get cosmetic work done will still get it done, as the physical world still has primacy for the time being. If you look beautiful in your Insta, you want to look beautiful in real life. After all, we are physical creatures. And I think you can look at the popularity of cosmetic surgery and it's, I, I'm pretty sure, increasing and increasing um, because of Instagram. And there's no effect of, you know, Snapchat filters making people look a certain way and they're fine looking that way only online. In fact, actually kind of worryingly, you're seeing some people want to get cosmetic surgery to make their faces look like Snapchat filters in a way that's kind of signifying of, what's it called, black body dysmorphia. So that, that's actually a totally separate issue. But the point is, I don't think that's going to be an issue of people having filters replacing cosmetic dentistry. You know, 50 or 100 years from now, who knows? We may be living exclusively in a digital world like those in Tron, Blade Runner, or Ready Player One. But um, in that case, I'll, I'll release a new episode.
in 50 years or 100 years if I'm still alive. And we'll talk about that then. Okay, is that it? AI and dentistry will help uh, with teeth filters and chatbot apps. Is that it? No, not at all. AI is permeating every part of our lives in a way that is completely unfathomable. It's just like the internet in the 80s. It has completely changed everything we do. And this is a paradigm shift. This is another paradigm shift. And it's not going to happen in the same way. It's not going to be internet 2.0. It's not going to be like, oh, uh, things are doubly connected. You know, we used, to, we used to not know where our friends were if we weren't with them. We couldn't text them, right? I mean, I, I didn't know that. I've always had a phone, but that's what I hear and from TV and stuff. You know, you'd have to call your friends. Otherwise, you wouldn't see them. And if your parents took your phone away or something, or if they didn't allow you to use the phone, you were just kind of like in purgatory. Um, now the internet has changed that. We're all more connected. AI is not just going to connect us doubly. It's going to change things in a way that things haven't been changed before. Um, so let me list some things that AI is going to help. AI will make diagnosis easier and more powerful. AI-powered services, namely dentistry.ai, that's a website you can go look up. It's a service right now. Those exist right now to examine x-rays and point out caries programmatically using AI. Imagine such a service which not only analyzes for caries, but for cancers, infections, and more. Okay, another thing. AI is and will continue to make marketing smarter and more targeted. Facebook is a prime example of marketing money that can be very well spent because of AI. With Facebook ads, you can target very finely your ideal audience. What happens between you setting up an ad campaign and your targeted users being served those ads and the frequency with which they're being served those ads and on which platforms they're being served those ads? Is it Instagram? You know, is it WhatsApp in the future? You know, Facebook owns WhatsApp and they're going to introduce ad capabilities eventually. Or is it the Facebook desktop app or is it the mobile app? The decision of where and when to serve those ads is powered by a lot of artificial intelligence and analysis. This is the same with Google and any other modern digital advertising service. So here we're starting to see how AI is going to change things. It's not just going to be increasing connectedness, doubly connectedness. It's going to make everything smarter and things which we didn't think could be smarter, smarter. Everything. Another thing, AI will make data analysis smarter, allowing you to monitor and respond to the state of your practice more effectively. As practice management software is now capable of tracking and reporting on trends in your practice, like rising or falling business, receivables, or whatever else, AI can power algorithms that monitor multiple variables to serve smart suggestions, like consider running an ad campaign with these specifications on Facebook, right? Because, you know, these variables are changing in this way. Maybe your traffic is lower than this time last year and this time two years ago, something is happening. Maybe the landscape is getting more competitive. Anyway, the AI algorithms will say, run this ad campaign and even give you the variables of input for the ad campaign. These things are completely feasible. Another thing, AI can power algorithms to better optimize patient scheduling for profit maximization, taking into account personal variations. Like if you happen to perform a certain procedure more quickly, 
and with more accuracy if you have multiple of them scheduled back to back, AI algorithms will learn that. That's what neural nets do. It allows them to learn. Another thing, AI can power a clinical assistant chatbot with encyclopedic knowledge of procedures and complications. So you can query the bot as you work on a patient. Have you ever had a medical or dental question as you're performing a procedure? Say, oh, what do I do with this or whatever, right? You can query the chatbot. And it'll be like on, on Alexa or something like that. Okay, lastly, AI could power a physical dental assistant robot, which could suction, handle surgical tools, either holding them or giving them to you, and more. AI is already making everything around us smarter, and it will continue to penetrate every part of our lives, digging deeper as the years go by. Thank you for joining me. I've had a really good time recording this AI in dentistry series. I hope you feel more educated on what AI is and how it does apply and can be applied to dentistry. Dentistry is really such a sweet gig, but don't get complacent. Try to look out on the horizon every couple of months at least. Keep up to date with the newest technologies because after all, your children are going to be inheriting the world of the future and they could very much benefit from your educated opinion even if they're not going to be dentists. I think this is going to be it for tech for the podcast for a while. It was a nice starting focus for me because of my background in tech, but in the coming episodes, I'm going to focus on demographics in dentistry, changes in the economic environment with consolidation in DSOs, and possibly even social issues with dentistry, like access to dental care in marginalized communities. At the same time, there's always stuff that comes up, like, for example, there was a huge ransomware or spyware attack um, on dental software recently that I'm probably going to make an episode on. So it's, it's not going away, definitely. Um, if you have any questions or comments, as always, feel free to reach out at brandon at howdentistsgetpaid.com. Okay, as always, see you next time. I do want to thank eAssist for allowing this podcast to happen, for sponsoring the podcast. Um, if you're looking for outsourced dental billing, eAssist is the number one outsourced dental billing provider. You can increase your income by outsourcing your billing, taking the pain out of getting paid. There are no software changes needed. They don't get paid unless you get paid. They help your staff. They don't replace your staff. And there are no long-term contracts. It's less stress, more peace of mind. You know, I work with them. They help with this podcast. Uh, they're all great people, and I can guarantee you're not going to regret working with them yourself. Go to dentalbilling.com for more info.